0: Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Man, it's great to see all of you here tonight. We're so glad that you could join us here on campus. For those of you that are here, it's wonderful to see you. For those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook live, welcome to you as well. We appreciate you tuning in wherever you are. It's just good to be here with my church family. I'm glad to be able to call a church like Grace Church home. And I'm glad to be able to call people like you my brothers and sisters. This is a good family that we have here. Amen. Amen. I want to make just a few announcements this evening before Brother Dave comes. First of all, we want to uh, remind you that uh, this coming Sunday, uh, the 13th, there will be a church business meeting in the A Center. And that will take place at 630. And also, we want to remind you that this coming Sunday, the 13th, is a Baby Dedication Sunday. And I know we do have a few babies to be dedicated. Always a special time here at Grace Church. Definitely looking forward to that. Uh, But if you can't remember those two announcements, we've got you covered. You can always download the church app or click on the events tab on our website, and you'll be updated once again. So you don't even have to remember if you can just remember those two things anyway, um, it's so good to be here tonight, and I'm looking forward to hearing what Brother Dave Bunch has for us. I know God's laid something on his heart, and y'all, every time he's in this pulpit, so uh, God bless you as Brother Dave comes this evening.
1: Praise the Lord, Grace Church. Why don't we stand together? I uh, want to just begin with with praise and worship for a moment together, but I want to do... I want to do that very strategically and very very focused. God laid something on my heart, and I think it's for somebody. I know it's for me, and I want us to, to keep this in mind and, and go to the Lord and, and worship and praise. We say a lot of times, go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to go to the Lord and worship and praise. Psalm, Psalm chapter 40. I waited patiently on the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. The psalmist goes on to say, he lifted me up out of that pit, out of that miry clay, and set my feet on a rock. And we think a lot about that in terms of salvation, and rightfully so. He, he, lifts us, or he lifted us up at, at time of salvation out of the pit of sin, out of the miry clay of the world, and set us on that rock. But it struck me this week, new and fresh, that this process of lifting us up is continual. It's not just a one-time thing. He, he lifts us up out of the miry pit of doubt. He, he lifts us up out of, the, out of the pit of depression and despair and, and discouragement. And notice it's an ascent onto a high place, to the, to the secure place, to the, to the rock. The psalmist said, to the rock that is higher than I. So if you've come today, tonight, into the presence of the Lord... And maybe your, your shoulders are, are hanging down just a little bit with some despair. Maybe your head is down just a little bit with discouragement. I want you to know that God lifts us up out of that state into a place of of salvation, a place of security, a place of trust, a place where we can feel confident that we know God's got our lives in His hand. So I want us to just worship with that thought in mind. And if that's you here tonight, I want you to just say, God, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Oh God, I worship you tonight. I praise you, Lord. You don't leave us in despair you don't leave us in doubt you don't leave us disillusioned god but you're constantly setting our feet on a secure place you're setting us in a safe place lord we can trust you lord that our life is in your hand oh come on somebody worship the lord one more time clap your hand. let me let me hear a shout unto the lord with a voice of triumph come on he's our rock he's our sword He's our shield. He's our strong tower. And the psalmist goes on to say, he says, he put a new song in my mouth. When that happens, when when we find ourselves in that place of despair and God lifts us up, there's just something that comes from the inside. It's a new song. It's the song of the delivered. It's the song of those that are set free. Amen? Hey, I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. I think we've come to the right place at the right time. What do you say? Amen. Amen. Well, if you promise to stick with me and teach and preach with me tonight, you may be seated. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to stand beside, to stand behind this pulpit and break the bread of life. It's always an honor, and I do give honor to Pastor and Sister Murphy and their tremendous leadership. Don't you appreciate Pastor and Sister Murphy? I'd like to read a text tonight from Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Nehemiah chapter 6, 1 through 4. I hope you have your Bibles. If somehow you slipped up and forgot, it'll be on the screen for you. Reading from the King James Version, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat, and we just have to stop right there and marvel at that name, don't we? Uh, it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto to me saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ano." Sound like a, a, an innocuous invitation. Hey, is uh, saying, hey, Nehemiah, i just like to meet with you. But Nehemiah sees through that. He says, they actually thought to do me mischief. And so I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this manner, or after this sword, and I answered them after the same manner. And so I'd just like to lift that from verse 3 there. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. I'm going to just ask you to announce my title to your neighbor. Look at them and just tell them, say, keep up the great work. Keep up the great work. work. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, I don't know who calculates these things. I don't know who puts all this out there, wherever there is. But I came across this. I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, It's uh, it's some odds. It's it's your odds, your chances. Your chances of bowling a 300, a perfect score, your chances are about 1 in 11,500. Again, I don't know who calculates this. I don't even know how they calculate it. But they say your chances of being hit by lightning, struck by lightning, are about one chance in 576,000. Your chances of becoming the President of the United States are 1 in 10 million, so they say. Your chances of winning the lottery are about 1 in 175 million. So, you know, uh, we're not advocating you go out and buy a lotto ticket for a lot of good reasons, but one of them is, is your chances are only one in 175 million. But the chances that you would be born in this place, in this time, in your unique circumstances, those chances are one in 400 billion. So I would say then, based on that, that you have purpose. You matter. Your life is not a waste. It's very important that you fulfill your God-given vision and calling. Because there's really nobody else that can fulfill your unique place in this life. The great work then that you are doing... Remember we all came down Sunday. Thank you, Jason, for an amazing message on Sunday. I want to reference a couple of times. I, in fact, I kind of think of this a little bit. as just kind of continuing on from Sunday, what I'm going to share tonight. We came down Sunday and wrote down what I, I, I would assume for you was a, was a vision, or, or at least the beginning, a seed thought for a vision of what God is calling you to do, what, what you're wanting to do. That's good work. That's a good thing. It matters. It's important. So the, the, those note cards we wrote Sunday. I want to tell you, students, the work that you are doing is important. The worship, the the, the, the being, the, the state of being plugged in, if I could say it that way, is important. I, I'm so inspired by our students. Pastor said the other day he was going to talk about the students from the from the pulpit, he, and he said he didn't know whether. The rest of the ministry team would or not. So I'm just going to take that as a green light and an open door. I'm going to talk about them a little bit. But I'm so inspired by them. And I want you to know you're doing a great work. Amen. Amen. Uh, Elena, Ella, Eli. And if Allison is here, she may be serving upstairs. Uh, y'all stand up. I want you to know, uh, Allison Inclusive, these folks were accepted into the all-state youth choir today. Yeah, absolutely. They they went a couple weeks ago all the way that you may be seated, all the way to Tioga to try out, they had to audition. Found out today they made the they made the cut. They made the choir so I think that's a lot to brag about from Grace Church having four all all-state Youth Choir members right here. Of course, we got Bible quizzing, Joseph and, and Noah representing in Bible quizzing. And that's all very awesome and it's very amazing and it's very inspiring. But let me tell you what I get out of it. From my perspective, what I see is I see these students wanting to be connected to the kingdom of God in any way they possibly can if it's through Bible quizzing, if it's through all-state youth choir, if it's worship, if it's prayer, if it's, if it's JV surf team, it doesn't really matter to them as long as they can be connected to the kingdom of God. And that's a great work. And parents and grandparents and adults and singles, I want you to know you're doing a great work. Again, I reference Sunday and the vision you wrote down, your support of these students, wherever you're serving on a, on a serve team, if you're planning to serve, preparing to serve, praying about serving, you're doing a great work. Just kind of tap yourself on the shoulder and say out loud, I'm doing a great work. Wow, that was pathetic. Can you say it with a little bit of unction? Thank you. All right. I know it's Wednesday night, but it's okay to stay awake on Wednesday night. So this God-given vision, this God-given momentum, the, the calling of God that you and I feel individually in our lives is a great work, and it's immensely, immensely important. I want you to understand when God speaks to you, when He talks to you, when He moves you in a direction, it is so important. It's not to be dismissed casually or, or, say, or to say to yourself, well, I'll just pick it up later. Or, uh, you know, it's something that uh, is optional. I want you to value the vision and the call of God, the vision God has given you and the call of God on your life. I would say this. I would say it is extremely necessary that we have vision... ...in our life, because the Bible says with no vision, people perish. You'll you'll stray, you'll drift, you'll stand the chance of being taken out spiritually with no vision. But with a clear, compelling vision, you are pulled forward toward a higher calling, a higher destiny. There's something you are striving for in the kingdom of God. So let me just say a couple of words about vision and then we'll continue... I love this definition of vision. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. That's pretty easy to remember, wouldn't you say? You just kind of get that in your head. A picture of the future that produces passion. That's what a vision is. That's what it is. It's, It's seeing what could be and should be and being compelled to do something about it. So with that in mind and with that said... I'm assuming tonight that we all have vision at some level. Hopefully you have vision for your family. You have vision for your marriage, your kids, uh, your finances, your career. Uh, Hopefully I pray that you have vision for your church, Grace Church. You have vision for ministry, your ministry, your calling, your gifting. Hopefully you have a vision for... ...one or more of those things in your life. But if you don't tonight, or if you had one and you've drifted away from it... ...for the rest of our time together, I want you to to call to mind... ...remember what you wrote down Sunday on that note card... ...and let that serve as your your vision or at least the start and the beginning of a really good vision. So when I talk about vision tonight or when I talk about um, staying focused on your vision... ...or doing the great work of your vision... Think about one or more of those aspects of vision. And again, uh, if you can't think of anything else, think about what you wrote down Sunday. So vision is important and we must do whatever we can to protect it and not be distracted from our vision. And so a great example, of course, tonight is the life of Nehemiah. Just an amazing story, amazing biography, amazing character. You know he wrote the book of Nehemiah. It's in the first person, which I like that. If you go through and read it, he talks about I did this and I did that. It's a first person narrative of his life and what happened. We, We find Nehemiah at the beginning of his book living in captivity, the Persian captivity. He has been displaced from his homeland of Jerusalem... But he is in kind of a, a more exalted place uh, as far as being a slave and a captive goes. He was the king's cupbearer, had a position there in the palace serving the king. And at this point in time, when we pick up his story or when he begins his story, his homeland, Jerusalem, ha- has started making a comeback. There we go, we'll use that word uh, that, that Jason and pa- Brother Jason and Pastor have used. ...they're kind of making a comeback. Zerubbabel has rebuilt the temple... ...but it's really not being kept up like it should. And, and the, the religious uh, rites, the, the worship in the temple... ...all of that has not really come back like it should have. The traditions have been discarded. And, and, and things are just generally in disarray. And, and so the word gets back to Nehemiah in his captivity in Persia that the situation back home in the Jewish homeland is far from good. And in fact, it's in disarray. And and Nehemiah gets what we might would call a burden or or a deep, deep concern. Maybe even say a passion for the restoration of his homeland. Deeply concerned. He was gripped by this, this, this need that he saw for restoration in Jerusalem. And so he fasted, he prayed, he wept, he cried. He, he was under that burden or that calling, that desire, that passion. And, and so he wept and cried and prayed. And then very practically he crafted a vision, a picture of what could be and should be. He made a plan. He mobilized others to join him. And his, his great driving passion and burden was to see the wall rebuilt around Jerusalem. That's what he wanted to go home and do, to get that wall rebuilt, because that would help them in terms of defense. It would help them in terms of getting order and, and, and righteousness back in the city. And, and so that's what he wanted to do, is he wanted to go home and rebuild the wall. It is said that, re, that Zerubbabel was instrumental in restoring the temple to Jerusalem. Ezra was instrumental in restoring worship. To Jerusalem, but Nehemiah, of course, famously was instrumental in restoring the wall around Jerusalem. And so, this Nehemiah did. He built the wall in fifty-two days—an almost impossible, impossible amount of time to do a task so great. But God was with him, and uh, and he was able to do that. But at the point of our reading tonight in chapter 6 the, the wall is done he's repaired the breaches it's built it's restored all they have left to do is to put the gates uh, to put the um to put the uh, the gates on the um or I'm sorry to put the doors on the gates I'll get it here in a minute all they had to do was put the doors on the gates and they would be done so he's right here on the cusp of seeing his vision come to pass how many know that anytime you start to implement some kind of vision in your life... ...or you try to take a step forward into the calling of God... ...or you try to do something very meaningful in your life... ...that you're going to meet opposition in some way? That's just the way it is, isn't it? It just seems like you step out and there's going to be somebody trying to pull you back, right? That's just the way it is in life and, and seemingly with any good thing that we try to do. And, and such was the case with Nehemiah... He was so close to seeing his vision uh, completed. And these guys, sandballot again a memorable name. A name worthy of pausing and just mulling over for a moment. sandballot Tobiah, and this Geshem fella... ...tried to distract Nehemiah and, and shut him down at, right at the end of his project. And it should, be, it should be noted, these guys had opposed Nehemiah from the beginning... ...they had tried threatening him, they tried mocking him, they tried stirring up rebellion against him... ...they tried all sorts of things, and Nehemiah would not be distracted by any of it. But ultimately, right here at the end of the project, one final, last gasp uh, effort... ...to try to stop the, the, the completion of the wall, they invite Nehemiah to a meeting. And as I said earlier, that might seem like not a very big deal, like, oh, just a meeting... But it was a tremendous potential distraction for Nehemiah's project. And Nehemiah saw right through it and told him, said, um, told him, said I'm not going to uh, stop what I'm doing. And he says these memorable words again from our text. He says, I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. And I like how he just kind of continues and he says, why should I stop? Why should I stop and go meet These guys, and they're they're just, you know, sinister plot or whatever, when I'm doing something great. In other words, I'm busy doing a God thing. I'm busy doing not just an important thing, but, but the most important thing I could be doing right now. With the finite amount of talent and energy that I have, I'm doing the most important thing that I could be doing with that time and energy. It's a great work. It's a good work. And I'm not going to be distracted by something else and stop the work that is most important. I remember many years ago, many years ago, made an indelible impression on me. Some of you will remember this. Coach Dwayne Beetle Bailey. He was, he was on the LSU baseball coaching staff. And I don't usually use a lot of sports analogies but this one is applicable, and and Coach was just such a character. He was on the LSU baseball coaching staff, won those five national championships they won in the 90s. He was a part of all five of those teams. And somebody, I don't remember now the whole story, but somebody taught him and his wife, Sister Lydia, a Bible study. They got the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name and became amazing apostolic saints of God. In, a, in an apostolic church. Just amazing testimony, amazing people. And so we got to know Coach later in his life. He'd retired from LSU at that point, was on fire for God, and nobody could give a talk like Coach. Nobody could speak like Coach. He commanded your attention, and if he thought he was losing your attention, he'd let you know about it and tell you to, uh, to look his way and keep your eyes focused on him. That's a true story. He, he talked to his audience like he talked to his ball players. But... Uh, Coach told this story in one of his talks, and it it just resonates in my mind so, so strong. I've never forgotten it. But he says, when you get to Omaha, which is where they play the national championship, he says, when you get to Omaha, he says, you're there to play in the World Series, to hopefully bring home a championship. And he says, from the minute you step off the airplane, there are countless distractions that come against you and your true purpose for being there. He said, "There's the press that wants to do interviews. There's the public that wants to do autographs." He said, "There are the all, all of the, um, all of the sports uh, manufacturers—the bats, the, the baseballs, the ball gloves—all that stuff. They are trying to get their merchandise in the hands of their play uh, of the players because if they'll use them in the game, that's free time on TV advertising Rawlings or whatever, whatever they are, Marucci and all that stuff." He says the distractions are enormous. They're required, they're compelled to take all of their financial people to a steak dinner uh, one night during the World Series. That's a whole night in his mind that was wasted from practice and staying focused and all that. Uh, Then there's the for the players that have never been there before especially, there's just the euphoria of playing for a national championship. And that can get in your head and be a distraction. And so he tells this story and he goes, he's, got, he's got stories about specific players and specific uh, uh, examples that he gives. But all throughout the talk, this is what he would say. He would say that the, that the team with the most talent is not the one that won the championship. He said in his tenure there, every time they went to Omaha, the number one team in the country was not the team that brought home the championship because it was too easy to be distracted. And he would say this over and over in that talk. He would say, can you focus? Can you concentrate? And how easily can you eliminate distractions? And then he'd say it again. Can you focus? Can you concentrate? And how easily can you eliminate distractions? And then he would talk a little more. And then he would repeat it again. And before long you got the point. The point was is the person, the team, the player... The saint of God, the child of God, the person with vision, the person that's trying to do something in the kingdom of God is not the most talented. It's not the one that has it all together. It's not the one that has all the answers. It's the one that stays focused on the great work that they're doing for God and can put aside all kinds of distractions and opportunities to be distracted and and sidelined from what they are doing out of their mind, out of their life. ...and focus on what God has called them to do. I want to tell you again, you're doing a great work. Keep up the great work. And don't be distracted by anything. So what does this look like for us? What does this look like? Well, I wrote down several statements here... ...of how I think we can apply this across the board, myself included. When you are tired and worn out, and it's been a long day... And it would be easier to stay home and watch live stream. Remind yourself, I am doing a great work. When you begin taking steps to implement that vision you wrote down Sunday and you hit a roadblock, remind yourself, I am doing a great work. When you are approached to join a serve team, Or serve in a particular area and you're just not sure about that Yes, Brother Jason. Remind yourself, I am going to do a great work. Parents, when we get a couple more months into our spring semester and you just don't feel like bringing your kids to another Friday night youth social, remind yourself, I am doing a great work. When you feel too tired to worship, too run down to pray, too wrung out to study your Bible, remember and remind yourself, I am doing a great work. So again, keep up the great work and don't be distracted by anything. So Nehemiah in this story gives us three common distractions that can take us away from the great work that we are doing. It can take us away from being focused on the vision, the calling, the effort, the, the focus, all of those things, three distractions that I'll talk about briefly in the balance of our time together tonight. The first opportunity or I'm sorry, the first distraction is opportunities. Look at your neighbor and tell them opportunities. Now, opportunities can be a good thing. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Not necessarily bad opportunities. Again, I've referenced it. Meeting sand ballot. Again, let us pause and marvel at the name Sandballad. Meeting Sandballot was not necessarily a bad thing. Now it was. Nehemiah saw right through it, and we find out later they wanted to kill Nehemiah. But but just for the sake of conjecture, at its surface, the the uh, the, the request was for a meeting with Nehemiah. That might have struck Nehemiah as a good thing. Possibly, he might have thought, well, this is my big opportunity to meet to meet my foe or my nemesis face to face, maybe if I cast my vision to him in a compelling way, uh, I could win him over to my side of thinking and, and all of this foolishness and opposition will stop. Or, or, or maybe he thought that uh, this would be an opportunity just to, to make peace and, and do a peace treaty and say, look, if you'll leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. We'll all go home happy. But, but as good as those objectives may have been or, or could have been or would have been worthy of consideration, Nehemiah didn't even take the time to even consider that. He didn't even take the time to go down that trail in his mind. He just said unequivocally, no, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I can't stop what I'm doing to meet with anybody, let alone sand ballot. Every day, every day, every day, you and I are bombarded with lots of good opportunities. Lots of good opportunities, distractions. There's entertainment opportunities, there's athletic opportunities, there's financial opportunities, relationship opportunities, investment opportunities, career and business opportunities. Good opportunities. And in fact, that's what's so sinister about them in this context, context is that they are easily justifiable. But to, to accomplish the most important things, to accomplish the great things, sometimes we have to say no to some good things. Remember what Jim Collins said in his book, Good to Great? He said, good is the enemy of great. So to avoid this mistake or to avoid this distraction of of, of mistaking good opportunities for great opportunities... ...we have to have absolute clarity on what our priorities in life are. Let me just let that kind of resonate for a moment. It's It's more than just a talking point. I want you to listen to that and let it resonate with you. We have to have absolute clarity on what our priorities are, and I might add, what our spiritual priorities are. A good way to get clarity on your priorities is to ask yourself, what will be the most important thing a hundred years from now? When you're given a choice, what will be the most important thing a hundred years from now? A good opportunity on your job or a great opportunity to spend more time with your family? What's going to be more important in a hundred years? or A relationship that you know is a dead end, but you choose to keep pursuing it? Or more time in the presence of God? When a really good opportunity comes your way that is not in line with your priorities, that will not be worthwhile a hundred years from now, you need to remind yourself, I am doing a great work and I can't stop now. You have to put some boundaries around how many good opportunities you will engage in at work in order to take advantage of some great opportunities at church. Students especially, hear me right now. As your leader, I want to tell you, you may have to walk away from some good opportunities at school in order to have some great opportunities right here at Grace Church. you got to choose. you got to make a choice. Are you going to let the opportunities distract you from your worship? You're going to let good opportunities distract you from the great opportunity of serving on the JV team. You're going to let good opportunities distract you from the great, great opportunity to be in the presence of God on Sunday and be with your friends on Friday night and be in youth camp and be in youth choir and be in Bible quizzing. Those are the great opportunities. But to take advantage of them, you have to say no to some good opportunities. The second... Distraction that Nehemiah faced was criticism. Look at your neighbor and say, Criticism. And this was not new to him. He had encountered it before. And this time, though, what was so insidious about it is that it was false accusations. It was criticism in the form of false accusations. Let's keep reading. We'll, we'll pick up at verse 5 and go down to verse 7. When Sambalat, his servant, uh, then sent Sambalat a servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, notice it says an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, so apparently Gashmu was an authority on the subject, that you, Nehemiah, and the Jews are thinking about rebelling. This was false, this was not true. But Sambalat puts it in an open letter. For which call? In other words, he's saying, so that's why you're building the wall, so that you can set yourself up to be king according to these words. And you have also appointed prophets to preach of thee in Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. This Sanballat is really wanting to meet with Nehemiah. He's still asking to get with him and take counsel together. Notice, first of all, that Sanballat did not seal the letter. It was a custom in that day to write on parchment or papyrus, something like that. You would roll it up, tie it up, and then you would seal it with some kind of wax so that the person for whom the contents were meant would break that seal and they would read it and they would know that nobody else had read it. Sanballat did not do that. He defied the custom because he wanted everybody that, that got a hold of that letter to read what he had written. And he was spreading false information, false accusations. And what was so insidious about it is that he was accusing Nehemiah of doing the opposite of what Nehemiah had set out to do. He, he, wasn't, he never wanted to set himself up as king. He never wanted to try to make himself out to be something he, he wasn't. He just had this tremendous burden, this tremendous passion, this tremendous desire to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. That was, that was his heartbeat. That's what he wanted to do, nothing more. And and Sam Ballad is 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 spreading these false rumors that he's trying to start a coup, basically. Nehemiah could have been justified in going on the defensive, you know. You and I, well, I'm not going to throw you into it. I probably would have. I would have said, "Oh, I'm going to set some things straight right here." Let me get on Facebook and. ...Twitter and all that stuff, and I'm going to tell them some things... ...and I'm going to show them some facts, and I'm going to make my case heard... ...and I'm going to make sure people know the truth. Nehemiah didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't worry about what Sam Ballot was saying or what people thought about him. Again, he, said he kept focused on the fact that he was doing a great work. Notice in verses 8 and 9, this is what he did. He said, I sent it to him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest... ...and thou faintest them out of thine own heart... For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So in other words, Nehemiah is saying, God, you take care of my reputation, and I'm just going to keep doing what you brought me here to do. God, you deal with the rest. You deal with the critics. You deal with the false accusations and, and my reputation and all that. I'm just going to stay busy about my father's business. So here's the thing, people need an explanation for the unusual behavior of a man or a woman with a vision. Anytime you step out, step up, try to do something for God, people need a good explanation for that. That, that, that doesn't fit the paradigm, it doesn't fit the explanation, or it doesn't fit the, the, the mold and, and what, what you normally would do. And often they're unwilling to accept the answer that they're given. I feel the call of God on my life. I'm responding to the preached word of God. I'm writing something down on a note card. I'm pursuing God's hand in my life. A lot of times they're unwilling to accept the truth so they'll just write it off to something else, sometimes without regard to the truth. And all of a sudden you're being accused of things that aren't true or or being accused that you're making yourself out to be something you're not. Anytime you make a change in your life, this happens. Whether you choose to go on a budget... ...or start making faithful attendance to church a priority... ...or getting plugged into a serve team... ...people think there's something wrong with you for rising above the status quo. So there will always be accusations focused on people who are accomplishing something. But the solution to that, the antidote to that, the answer to that is actually very simple. The antidote is... ...to just go ahead and see your project through to completion. Just go ahead and see your vision through to Go ahead and do what it is you're talking about... ...and then there's nothing left to say. Verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished in the twenty and 5th day of the month... ...as I mentioned earlier, 52 days. And it came to pass... Listen to this, because this is important, I think. When all our enemies heard thereof... ...all of our enemies heard thereof... ...and all the heathen that were about us saw these things... ...they were much cast down in their own eyes... ...for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. So Nehemiah just went ahead and said, you know what? You can say what you want. Call me what you want. Make my reputation out to be anything you want. But I'm going to just finish the project. I'm going to do what God set in my heart to do. And that has a way of just silencing the critics. And what is so fascinating about this to me... I read, I read over the book of Nehemiah this week in preparation. It's not a long book, and I didn't read every word. I didn't read the chapter that lists all the names of the people that were present. But I don't find any sort of retribution at all for Sanballat, Geshem, and Tobiah. I, I don't find that God struck them dead. I don't find that he punished them uh, for opposing Nehemiah. I don't find that they lost money in the stock market or that their houses were burned... You know, and they were taken captive. None of that stuff happened. I don't find it anywhere in there. If you find it, let me know, and I'll uh, I'll tweak this a little bit. I don't believe it's in there. But what he says is they were cast down in their own eyes. They were ashamed. They realized that what Nehemiah was doing was of God, and that they had that they uh, that they had made a mistake, and that they were at odds and at crossroads with what God was doing. So when you're overwhelmed with criticism... ...take it to God and then get back to your task... ...and remember, you are doing a great work. Keep up the great work. Last one, last distraction. Uh, And I'm I'm bringing this in quickly for a close. The last distraction is the distraction of fear. The distraction of fear. And this may be be the one most, uh, most likely to affect us. The last resort of Nehemiah's enemies... ...prior to him finishing the wall was to threaten his life and try to cause him to be afraid. Look what they did in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 10. Again, we're backing up just a little bit right before he had finished the wall. Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabiel, who was shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple. That all sounds kind of weird, but I'm going to explain it to you in a minute. For they will come to slay thee, yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. So they, uh, this guy uh, right here, this uh, Shemaiah, he was sent by Sanballat to tell Nehemiah that they had a hit out for him, an assassin that was coming for his life. And, and all of his great kindness and concern for Nehemiah This guy said, I have a a solution for how you can be safe. You can go into the temple, into the inner court, and you can be safe there from this assassin. Fortunately, again, Nehemiah teaching us so much here, not to be ruled by distractions, not to be ruled by fear when we're pursuing what God has in our life. He saw right through it, and he knew it was a setup. Because here's the thing, Nehemiah knew that only the priest... ...could go into the area of the temple... ...that was being suggested by Shemaiah for Nehemiah to go to for refuge. There were a few exceptions... ...for people that were running to a city of refuge... ...but this was not one of those exceptions and Nehemiah knew it. So had he followed their advice... first of all, he would have shown great fear. But secondly, he would have totally discredited himself among the Jews. They knew... That, and he knew that he could not go where only the high priest was allowed to go. Had he done so, he would have lost all credibility with those that he was leading in the good task of rebuilding the wall. And look at his response. So he, so he sees through all this. Look what he tells them in verse 11. He says, Should such a man as I flee. How do you like that, huh? He's just kind of beating on his chest a little bit. Should such a man as I flee. And then this is where he realized what was going on in terms of the high priest alone going in there. He said, uh, who who, being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not do it. Not only had Nehemiah embraced the vision, the vision had embraced him. In other words, the vision was bigger than him. He was expendable as far as he was concerned. If they take my life, they take my life. But it's worth it to see the vision come to pass. The vision to repair the walls and restore Jerusalem was about something so much bigger than himself. And if it cost him his life, then so be it. That was his attitude. And so... For us today, there, there's all sorts of, when we 're pursuing the vision of God in our life, the calling of God in our life, when we 're stepping out into something new in the kingdom of God, the future that He has for us, the, the, the dreams and, and the prayers and all those things there 's all sorts of fears that will come against of us. A lot of it can, can be just in our own head, can be in on our imagination, some of it, though very real there 's fears we could talk about a long time, but let me just mention a couple first of all. You've heard of the fear of missing out. FOMO, the fear of missing out. I want to use it in a positive context tonight. I hope that the fear of missing out for what God has for you will spur you forward and motivate you to keep going and not be distracted in God's calling for your life. I don't want to miss out on what God is doing in my life. I don't want to miss out on what God's doing at Grace Church. I do have FOMO, a fear of missing out. I want to see God's plan come to fruition in my life. But more realistically, there's that great fear of what if, what if. And probably the greatest of all the what if fears is the fear that says, what if I fail? That's probably the biggest one of all. What if I fail? What if I fail? If I step out and do that thing that I wrote on my note card Sunday, there's a chance that I might try it and fail. I remember when I really I'd felt God's call on my life for a long, long time as a young man. And then in my young adult years, I finally acknowledged, yes, I feel called of God to, to the ministry. I'm going to begin pursuing that in earnest. I acknowledge it, walk in it, live in it. That was my big thing right there. My greatest fear is what if I fail? What if I step out and make this big declaration for a call to ministry and I fail? And so I think that's common to all humans, all humanity. I think we all struggle with that. But I think we could take uh, 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 we could take example from what Nehemiah said. Again, I love it. He says, "Should a person such as I be afraid?" In other words, you you don't know who you're. You don't know who I am. I'm a child of God. I've got Holy Ghost power running through my veins. I've been ordained by God. I've been called by God. His, His hand is on my life. He's directing my steps. With all of that assurance and all of that promise, should a person, should let me say it this way, should a child of God fear, knowing that I've got the backing of heaven with me, that if God be for me, who is to be against me, if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. Should a person such as I be afraid? So when, you, when you're face to face with that fear, what if I fail? Answer that question with this question. In light of what God has called me to do, should a person in my position retreat? In light of what God has called me to do, should a person in my position retreat? When I think of all the good that could come from saying yes to my vision, should I someone in my position run away out of fear of what might happen? I think that's a very empowering question. I think it's a very liberating question because, of course, the answer is no. Don't let the fear of the unknown cause you to miss out on what God wants to do through you. So stand with me right now. Stand with me right now in conclusion, and then we're going to pray. One more time, let me ask you, can you focus... Can you concentrate and how easily can you eliminate distractions? Because I want to remind you tonight, you are doing a great job. Keep up the good work and don't be distracted by anything. Paul said it this way, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching under those things that are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's focus. That's keeping up the good work. That's saying I'm doing a great work and I will not quit. Let's pray together and dedicate ourselves again to our vision. Jesus, I thank you for the powerful inspiration of your word. I thank you that if you're for us, nothing can stand against us. And I thank you, Lord, for rekindling vision. Lord, over the last months, the last uh, maybe even the last year, Lord, you have steadily rekindled vision. You've rekindled faith. Lord, and we are experiencing a sovereign move of God. And the great news is we're all a part of it. Every person under the sound of my voice is a part of this great sovereign move of God. And we pledge tonight, God, we're going to keep up the good work. We're not going to stop. We're not going to be distracted. We're not going to look to the left or the right. But we are going to keep doing these great things that you've called us to do. We pledge ourselves to it. We commit ourselves to it. And all the church said in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you, Grace Church. We'll see you Sunday. We want you to be blessed the rest of the week. God bless you in Jesus' name.